third and six from the 40. Chargers creeping up to the line of scrimmage. Breeze stands in the shotgun. Here come the Chargers up the middle. Breeze steps up in the pocket, throws, and it's wide open. Henderson, 10, 5, and there it is. He's done it. High tops and flat tops give way to low cuts and drew cuts. Drew Breeze passes Johnny Unitas, throwing a touchdown in his 48. What is up, Football Nation? It is episode number 23. You can listen to Sirius. Third and six from the 40. Chargers creeping up to the line of scrimmage. Breeze stands in the shotgun. Here come the Chargers up the middle. Breeze steps up in the pocket, throws, and it's wide open. Henderson, 10, 5, and there it is. He's done it. High tops and flat tops give way to low cuts and drew cuts. Drew Breeze passes Johnny Unitas, throwing a touchdown in his 48th straight game. It is a 40-yard strike to Devin Henderson. What is up, Football Nation? It is episode number 23 of the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters podcast. October 10th, 2012, coming to you from Buffalo, New York. I am the host, Steve Bennett. My co-host is Don Russ. What's up, Don? Hey. We got a great show lined up for you today. We're really excited. Ian Rappaport, who was on the show over the summer, is back straight from Indianapolis, where he was reporting on the Chuck Pagano incident and the Colts and Packers game from week five of the NFL. Ian's going to join us to talk about all things uh, related to that game and look ahead to next week. Also, uh, we got a, a great show besides Ian. We're going to do three things. Uh, we have listener email that's a fantasy football question this week, so we're going to get to do some fantasy football, and we're going to close the show out with one last thing couple pieces of business before we get going. Just want to remind everyone about our other podcast, The Sportscasters Proper, which you can find at www.sports-casters.com on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. This week, Season 2, Episode 36, we have interviews with Brian Curtis from Grantland.com, Grant Wall from Sports Illustrated, and Greg Wyshynski from the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo.com. Uh, also, don't forget you can find... 
our previous podcasts, like the one with Steve James or the one with Peter King or the one with Michael Holly or any of the past podcasts that we've done for Football Nation just by going to footballnation.com and clicking on the podcast tab across the top. You'll find all of our shows there. Um, We're really excited about what we have today, so let's just get right to it and kick things off with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. The NFL week that was, week five. Oh, boy. If you're a Bills fan, ouch! Yeah, you're hiding your head right now. The Bills right now are on a 90-3 to run. That's not an exaggeration. In the second half, or since the second half of the New England game, they've been outscored, or they were outscored 45 to nothing, which is ridiculous. They got outscored 45-3 to this week. So 90-3 to run, it's, it's embarrassing. Uh, I've said... Probably on this podcast in the past that their schedule is great this year, but they have six tough games in the middle where really all they had to do was go two and four, three and three would be really optimistic. That said, you can't go two and four and lose the games you're going to lose by 50 42 points. points. It's, it's embarrassing. It just shows you're not in the same league as these teams that aren't don't even always look that great to begin with. Maybe San Francisco is one of the better teams in the league. New England's three and two, and they've lost – games the teams like Arizona I mean they're tight games they're losing but there's nobody in the NFL that's really blowing people away other than maybe Houston no 85 bears this year no so don't go out there and look like an embarrassment I mean that's all you really have to do in these games sure you're you're a 10 point dog if you lose that game by 10 nobody's beating you up this week probably I mean the Bills and the Dolphins are two AFC teams AFC East teams that have two and three records the Dolphins have two overtime losses that they were very competitive in. Yep. And they have a signature win over a 3-1 and Bengals team at the time on the road. Whereas the Bills, in their three losses, the Bills have given up at least 40 points in all three of those games. Yeah, and, and they're bottom feeders. They beat up on the teams that happen to somehow be worse than them, and they're going to run out of those teams if they haven't already. So either be really bad or somehow flip a switch and be really good all of a sudden, but I, I just don't see it happen. So just, just be really bad this year. And when we started this show, we talked about how great it was for the Bills to have signed Mario Williams, but yeah. that looks like dead money right now. Totally. Total bust. I mean, all the guy does is make whine excuses. and complain and yeah. make excuses. So definitely a tough start to their season. Speaking of tough starts, Saints got off to a tough start but had a great week, number five at home on Sunday Night Football, beating the Chargers 31-24, to a game that will be more known for Drew Brees setting a record yep. that stood for 60 years. Uh, Johnny Unitas, number 19, owned the record. It was, of course, broke when Drew Brees threw a pass to number 19, Devery Henderson, for a touchdown in the first quarter. Uh, kind of interesting, Commissioner Goodell gave special permission to allow Sean Payton, Joe Vitt, and Mickey Loomis to attend the game. And he also let them, I don't want to say mingle, but meet with Drew Brees in the owner's office after the game. Uh, Drew really wanted to spend that moment with them. And uh, as a Saints fan, there was a lot of things you like in the game. The defense finally got some sacks, finally forced some turnovers. 
Uh, Marquise Colston and Devery Henderson put the team on their backs with Breeze when guys like Jimmy Graham and Moore weren't out there and Meacham is catching touchdown passes for the other side. Uh, so a lot of positive things for the Saints this week. But I think we've buried the lead here, Don. I really think that maybe the biggest story of the week, and we're going to talk more with it about Ian Rappaport, with Ian Rappaport, which is why we didn't get it too into it. But what an unbelievable victory for the Indianapolis Colts, one time trailing to the Green Bay Packers 21-3 to and being able to come back and win that game for their coach, Chuck Pagano, uh, who was in the hospital fighting leukemia. And uh, just it's unbelievable what thing teams can accomplish in sports when they're playing for something. Yeah, and I mean, in football, it helps when you have a stud quarterback, and it's looking like that's what Andrew Luck is. Boy, his arm's going to fall off by the end of the season. He's threw 55 passes this game, uh, to adding on to the boatload that he's already thrown. They're not getting too much out of Donald Brown, but 17 for 84 is a solid day. And Reggie Wayne is not dead fantasy players or real-life people that have written him off 212 yards receiving on 13 catches. So you never know. Uh, that's not an overwhelmingly great. Uh, it's not an overwhelmingly great league. They happen to they be, might the wrong... be the, they got to be the best team in their second best team in their division. Right. Right. I mean, Houston I mean, is five and oh, yeah, so Houston, you're not catching them. Right. But they're two and two. And then Jacksonville and Tennessee are one and four each. And really when you're talking about wild cards, you're talking about beating the likes of Pittsburgh or Baltimore, whoever doesn't finish first there. Baltimore beat the lowly Chiefs 9-6, to so the Colts might have an outside look at the playoffs, and uh, if they can get a little help from their defense, maybe a little more running game, why not? I mean, it's not a, it's not a strong league this year. Yeah, the Jets uh, lost to the Texans last night on Monday Night Football, and one thing I thought that was really interesting about the game is how desperate the Jets played it. Yep. For a team that has won or played in two of the last, what, four AFC Championship games, they're really in desperation mode already, pulling out all the stops, doing things like faking punts on inside their own 30-yard line and trying surprise onside kicks and getting points on a 100-yard kick return and really nowhere else. Yeah, well, there's just no depth in that team. We've, we've kind of beat, no that, talent. beat that to death. Uh, their talent is with their first-string guys, mostly on defense, and that's about it. But I give them credit for battling the yeah. Texans as hard as they did. We talked about that on the other podcast a little bit, how that's the loss that it had the Bills taken. You can feel good about it. If you're the Jets right now, you lost to maybe the class of the league, and you gave them a fight right up until the end, and you're one game out of first place in your division. The AFC East is very... Everyone is three and two. Everyone's basically. three and two or two, two and three, three, and then there's the Bills. Well, the Bills are two and three still. Just yeah, it's awful. Patriots three and two. Everyone, everyone else, else two, two and three. three. Yeah. So if you're the Jets, you're one game out of the division title, and you haven't played the leader yet. So you got to feel good after playing the class of the league, especially considering how poorly your team has played. The offense is still garbage, and they got to figure out what they're going to do with Sanchez. But that's a that's a game where with the little talent they appear to be fielding right now that you can be proud of if you're a Jets fan. I think the most interesting division in the league right now is the NFC North, and it will probably be the most interesting division all year. Minnesota and Chicago are both 4-1. and one. Both look really good, too. Green Bay is 2-3, and three, but they're, they're still Green Bay, right? I yeah, mean, there's still that I, aura behind how, them. How, how long do they get that? You I know, don't know, because they look vulnerable. They look like a team who could lose to anyone. I pick games every week, and so far every week I've picked – the Saints or Green Bay, except when they played each other, I picked Green Bay, and I happen to be right there. But 
and neither team has real right and neither team has let you like at what point do one of these teams you just say well i guess i gotta stop picking them i don't green bay looks very very beatable you probably won't pick them this week at houston you're probably picking houston this week yeah yeah that's yeah that's one of those games that i would stay away from if i were a betting person but yeah, I think I you got to take. If Houston they lose there, to right? Houston and they fall to two, two and, and four, four, their next two games are against St. Louis and Jacksonville. St. Louis is a better team than you think of. Yeah, but those are still games they should win. So maybe they're four and four going into a game against Arizona, but it might not be good enough. That's a tough division, and we mentioned it last week. Minnesota is going to be tested to the extreme after their bye week. They need to stockpile as many early wins as they can now because it gets really difficult for them late. But We did talk about that, and the question kind of was, we've talked about this with Arizona too. Are they for real? And I might have been a little bit, I don't remember what I said about Arizona. I remember with Minnesota I said, I think they are for real. I think their schedule is just too tough. If Green Bay is this team that's going to play this tight, Minnesota might be able to beat them once or twice, and then who knows? Uh Chicago looks good. That might be a team I'm overlooking as one of the teams that looks like a very good team in the league. They played one stinker of a week against Dallas, I believe. It was Dallas. No, 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 Green Bay. Bay. Yeah, they lost 23-10 to Green Bay. That game looked like the Packers were back, and their defense was just beating up Cutler. But other than that, uh, Chicago's... They have a plus 78-point differential. It helps when you beat Jacksonville by 38. Right. But still. That's number one in the league. Yeah. Or number two behind San Francisco. But, yeah, there's maybe three, four really good teams, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong to leave the Bears out of that. They might be one of the really good teams right now. All right, my number two thing today, congratulations to Kevin Falk on a 13-year NFL career uh, that came to an end today. Uh, Falk announced his retirement in a ceremony at Gillette Stadium. Was he still with the Patriots technically? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh Let's see. Coach Belichick lauded Falk for his 13-year career in New England, calling him and former Patriots receiver Troy Brown the gold standard of teamwork, commitment, performance, and winning. Belichick called Falk the ultimate team player, noting how in addition to being the franchise's all-time leader in all-purpose yardage, he's also the record holder in game balls with 60-something. Wow. Uh, The bigger the situation or the play, the more you could count on him, Belichick said. Uh, they had a highlight video of Falk's career where quarterback Tom Brady said there was no player was more clutch than Falk. As a Bills fan who's watched a lot of New England games and the Jets games, he always reminded me that one of my most hated Jets ever was Wayne Corbett because he would do nothing all game long. And then in the most important play of the game, he would catch the, ga- the, catch the ball to get the first down to seal the game. And that was Kevin Falk. Kevin Falk was like the definition of a third down back, but he was the type of guy that would just always beat you. I mean, not that most of that team beat the Bills, but he was a guy that that was always around. He always picked up. It was third, and maybe if the defense pulls together, they get some momentum back. But nope, Kevin Falk would squash that all the time. Some quick comments from the owner. Kevin Falk helped define the way an entire generation of Patriots fans have come to view and appreciate our brand of football. He worked so hard to get better every year. He was always one of the first to arrive in the building and among the last to leave. His work ethic, enthusiasm for the game, and clutch performances, especially on third down, earned him the respect of his coaches, teammates, and fans alike. 
He retires a Patriot whose career will always be celebrated for helping deliver three Super Bowl championships to New England. So congratulations to Kevin Falk, an underrated player who, man, he must have been just smiling from ear to ear today hearing the great things that his teammates and coaches and owner had to say about him. And I think he'd be a guy that if you're the Patriots, you'd like to keep around in some capacity. Yeah, you know what I mean. You love. He's a guy who always have a, a spot in that building. My second thing this week, the player discipline has been reissued in the Bounty Gates. Scandal, yeah, this just gets weirder and weirder. And it's unchanged except in the cases of Scott Fujita and Anthony Hargrove, who are no longer with the Saints. Uh, in a statement from Roger Goodell. Or not, there's no actual official statement, but the league has put out saying Jonathan Velma will remain suspended for this season but will retain the salary while he was on the physically unable to perform list. Defensive end Will Smith remains suspended for four games. Saints linebacker Scott Fujita's suspension was reduced from three games to one. And Anthony Hargrove suspended for seven games, reduced from eight. These numbers appear to be totally arbitrary because there's no – as I've seen yet, no reason for the redu- reduction in suspension to Fujita and Hargrove. Hargrove's kind of a funny one. Like, Fujita's suspension is significantly reduced. Hargrove went from eight to seven games. I, I don't know what they saw that they're like, okay, one game less. And he's getting credit for time served. because of From games he missed already, right? He wasn't on a team. Right. So if someone signs him, the first game, five games of the season are going to count, count for him. Right. Very odd. Uh what it tells me to some extent is that the league must have had something because it was starting to look like the league had nothing on a lot of I these I still guys. think they have nothing. I just think with all the lawsuits that are built up, they just had no choice. To continue to suspend them? Yeah. Yeah. What when are they going to now? This... Are they going to now say, oh, yeah, all right, so the Saints. <laughs> they, it was they all had no hearsay. choice. Yeah. yeah. I... I don't. For a story that seemed like it had gone away, other it's than not the appeals, over. it's not over. The NFL still is going to have to come forward with something concrete. Yeah, because now Vilma's going to go to court. Right. He's going to want this played out in court. V- very, so. very odd uh, turn of events here. Not so much that they upheld them, but some of them were reduced. and Just very strange. Another, I guess, good timing for the Saints in their bye week, because I'm sure the Saints are hoping that in this two-week period till they play again, something changes. some kind of resolution can be made. It still doesn't matter for Vilma, who's still going to be on PUP and is still injured. But for a team that's really thin when it comes to the pass rush, the last thing they probably want right now is to go without Will Smith, Will Smith for four yeah. weeks. But Now, I haven't heard anything, and I'm assuming you haven't either. They, no statements about any of the coaching staff. Greg Williams. No, that, I mean, Payton. that was never really in discussion. Yeah. I think those guys... Are all just going to bite the bullet so that they can resume their careers next year. Yeah. Strange, strange story. All right. My last thing you want to talk about strange and bizarre. There's a really sexy girl out there named Sarah Jones. And she is now pretty much an ex everything. Okay. I think I know who she you're is talking now about. an ex Bengals cheerleader, cheerleader yeah. and an ex teacher. She pleaded guilty Monday. And was sentenced to five years of probation for making a high school student's dream of sleeping with his NFL cheerleader teacher come true. Wow, she's not so sexy in her mugshot. No, I could imagine <laughs> not. Uh, she doesn't have to register as a sex offender, which I'm very surprised about. She got a good deal, basically. 
I couldn't. I've read this article today too. I couldn't figure out. I mean, I know the laws for basically statutory rape is what we're talking about here. Uh, underage sex with an, with a minor. Uh, I know they're different from state to state, but it doesn't really specifically say. Okay, it does say here when the boy was seventeen. Yeah, he was seventeen. She pleaded guilty to sexual abuse while in a position of authority. Oh, okay. And the unlawful use of electronic means to induce a minor—that's for basically sexting with the kid. So, if the kid, part of the first part, the first charge is because she was a teacher, right? It'd be she kind was of a person like of a, authority. If like a boss tried to, right? Okay. It, what's it doesn't say like is seventeen make him underage for that type of relationship? I know in New York State, I think that is the age. Like, do you get, I, I think his age is irrelevant. It's more that he's a student, thing. she's a teacher. The age. The interesting in. thing is, is she put aside a lawsuit against a gossip a website, site yeah. called The Dirty, which she has now notified Kentucky that she's going to pick it up. The Dirty dot com published a post titled The Dirty Bengals Cheerleader in which a Dirty.com commenter alleged that Jones had slept with all the members of the Bengals team and had STDs. Um, why are all high school teachers freaks in the sack? They, is wait, a quote from I saw them. a different thing that said they claimed her ex-boyfriend cheated on her with more than 50 women giving her STDs. So this is just... Well, well, as I don't, weird as it gets. Yeah, I don't get why. Who is this girl that, in general, like, is this a thing that exists? I've never heard of it. That people, uh, are there that many rumor sites about NFL cheerleaders and, like, what is the dirty dot com? I just think it's unbelievable. Could you imagine me and a seventeen-year-old senior boy in high school? You walk into English class and the teacher is a smoking hot ex cheerleader. Cheerleader, twenty-seven years old. Well, she's twenty-seven now. It's just. And, I mean, Sarah Jones obviously is a troubled girl Yeah, who has unbelievably poor judgment. Yeah, that's undeniable. I believe they're still together, her and the kid. And I believe part of the trouble they had prosecuting her was because I think the kid's family was not cooperative. Everyone loves Aunt Sarah? I guess so. <laughs> well... Dad, God bless them. Dad hurt his kid with too many high fives or something. <laughs> and, and I guess if you're the family, let's get this legal stuff away. Let's get back to the civil thing. See how much of that $90 million you can win <laughs> and then send some of that our way and everything is square. Yeah, this is a it's, it's a funny thing with this type of story in our society because it, there's a lot of truth to it too, though. If this was reversed and it was a guy with a young girl – then that's messed up. This, I don't know. I'm sure there's some sort of ramifications for the 17 year old boy's vision of women down the road, but I, come on. Forbes.com has an article on it. I think NFL.com has something too. This kid's the most popular boy in his school amongst his other male <laughs> classmates. We'll keep an eye on that. Maybe we can update you on the times and tribulations of Miss Sarah Jones. All right, my last story. We spoke to Lee Jenkins on our other podcast. Yep, last show. About an article. Episode 35. Real interesting article he wrote about the life of kickers. And Now, his, his article mainly pertained to college kickers, but Billy Cundiff was a college kicker at one time, and 
he really makes you get inside the head of the kickers and how they can make all the kicks in their career and be remembered for one miss. Or the flip side of that is there was a kicker that practically missed everything he kicked until he made one huge game. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I think it was in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. But Billy Condiff, uh, this poor guy, blows one of the all-time shank jobs in a in a big stage, uh, missing the kick in the or AFC Championship game last year that would have sent the Ravens to the Super Bowl. For I wonder if you ever looked Ray Lewis in the eye after that. Jeez, do you imagine having to look Ray Lewis in the eye after blowing a chance for him to get another ring? Yeah, how great is that Ray Lewis commercial with that little girl? By the way, that's oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, that's so good. The first time I seen that, the little girl doing his pose at the end. Yeah, but anyway, and he has yeah. another great commercial. Did you see with Tom with his mom, where his mom's talking to Tom Brady about what the NFL's done? Her, oh, right. her son Ray plays in, plays football. Yeah, she wants to know, and then she's he's like. Brady's like, I'd love to meet the little guy. And then they show Ray Lewis yeah. standing there drinking. TMQ beats that up a little bit in this article today because they use a fake doctor, I guess. In that. Uh, anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Yeah. Uh, Billy Kickers missed the field goal in Baltimore. Uh, you could see it on his face walking off the field last year. And he apparently just has never recovered from it in his career. I don't know. Kickers get recycled a lot, and hopefully it works out for him. But this year he's been 7 for 12. Uh, for the Redskins. Not good enough. Not good enough. He's going to get cut. and Did get cut. He did get cut. Who knows what this is going to mean for his career. Probably over. It's probably Yeah, probably not good. They're trying out other kickers right now. They could have really used him last week when he blew a 31-yarder that they ended up losing by three points. So who knows how that game goes if he makes it. Sad to see uh, that a guy who had an otherwise successful career is probably going to be remembered for the last six weeks worth of action. He this had. has been the toughest year for kickers that I can remember so far, except for rookie, like young kickers. Right. Like well, we got St. these Louis young kids. Just yeah. St. Louis and Minnesota have yeah. these young studs, which maybe is going to be a reason to not recycle kickers as much. Maybe yeah. we'll see a shift to younger kickers in the league, but it's unbelievable. Like where did they find these guys? Cause every time I watch a college game, Change nobody jobs. can kick. Yep. You know, Texas, last week, when they were driving to try to win the game against Oklahoma State maybe two weeks ago, the announcers were talking about how they wouldn't kick a field goal until they got to the 14-yard line. Yeah. So, uh, Billy Condiff, best of luck to you. Hopefully you're not remembered for your last six weeks of action. All right, let's take a break and come back with Ian Rappaport from NFL.com and the NFL Network. Our guest today currently lives in Dallas, Texas, and is a graduate of Columbia University. He has spent time covering the Alabama Crimson Tide for the Birmingham News and the New England Patriots for the Boston Herald. Today he works for NFL.com and the NFL Network, where he writes for the league's website and appears on shows like Total Access and all kinds of other things on the network. He's making a second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Ian Rappaport. What's up, Ian? That was quite the welcome. What's going on? Oh, not much. Excited to have you back. Uh, we had you in the summer. We talked a little Adrian Peterson running up and down hills, and it killed. The listeners loved it. So uh, we're <laughs> pumped Pumped to have you back. Um, you had a, what I'm sure was a crazy week being 
out in Indianapolis and covering the story of the Colts and Mr. Pagano and his battle with cancer and the way things played out there. Let's just take us through that a little bit and what it was like to report and cover such a, I don't know if I want to say unique, I don't know if I want to say dramatic, but it, it was it's not the average NFL story for sure. No, and it's really nothing like I've ever covered either. You know, um, I mean, I was assigned to cover that game even before the announcement, and all of a sudden, you know, we get word that um, Chuck Magano is battling leukemia, will be stepping away from the team, and all of a sudden, all these other things, all these life things kind of come into play, and, you know, it's interesting when, you know, you're used to covering football, and, you know, you're used to writing about X's and O's, and who blocked who, and who didn't, and then, you know, life intervenes, and it's it's really, you know, it changes things, you know, instead of an inspirational message about, you know, a guy who's trash-talking you. It's a, it's a message about a coach who's fighting for his life. Um, it was unique to cover. You know, I was really impressed with how the Colts players handled it, how they dealt with the, the emotion of, you know, wanting to win for their coach, and then when they were down 21-3, to when it looked like it wouldn't happen, um, they kind of kept going. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting what can motivate and drive a team. It was really amazing to watch them come all the way back. You know, I remember in 2006 when the Saints played their first game after Katrina in Carolina and won that game. I can remember all of the emotion that was around it, but then I remember all of the chaos after it and the way that that chaos kind of affected that team for the rest of the season. Now, the Colts don't need to pick up and move to San Antonio or anything like that, but we know that these NFL players are creatures of habit, and now, just a month into the season, they're going to have to change some of those habits as they're, they're it's, it, the things have changed for them a little bit. Do you think that this team being around them in the midst of these changes can ride this wave of emotion, or do you think ultimately that it's maybe going to stunt them in some way? Well, you know, I think it's tough for anybody to handle, really. Um, you know, there's there's no real playbook. Um, there's no way to explain to them how to function or really do anything, you know, without your head coach, and that's what they're being asked to do. You know, they're being asked to, you know, play without the guy who, you know, they were a lot of these guys were closest with. I mean, Reggie Wayne has known Chuck Pagano for 16 years since they were both at Miami together. You know, this is so. Um, I think it's a real lot to handle. It was great to see them. You know, like we talked about, kind of late. Uh, you know, use this wave of emotion this week. But, you know, I think going forward, it's, I think it's only going to get harder because the raw emotion, the highs, um, you know, it's, it's all going to, you know, at some point, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, reality will, will seep in. And, um, you know, you sort of hope they can hold together. But, you know, I think Bruce Arians is really a guy who gives them a chance to do that as the interim coach. You know, Robert Griffin III has, has gotten a lot of attention in the beginning of the season, and deservedly so, but I've been more and more impressed each week with Andrew Luck, and obviously this is now kind of his signature game, being able to lead the team back from 21-3, to 3, and not just any team, but the Green Bay Packers. Uh, what was your impressions of Luck being there on the field and watching him lead that comeback and, and that game? Yeah, I mean, I think I was probably more impressed than I was you know, going into the game. Um, you know, a, a couple things to me. One, um, he did he did the two things 
I'm going to say this. He did the two things that every quarterback needs to do. One, when everything was going wrong, he was okay. You know, so I think that's something that the teammates really saw. You know, that, that he wasn't freaking out. He stayed with it. You know, and that's something they can really feed off of. Um, and then the other thing was <coughs> he, uh, he knew who his best player was. He knew it was Reggie Wayne. He knew he was double covered, and he found a way to get the ball to him anyway. And, you know, that's really, that's really the way you got to do it. You know, who's your best guy? How do you get him the ball? How do you give your team the best chance to win? Um, and I think, you know, what we saw was, was exactly what the great quarterbacks do. They, they simply, you know, identify the best chance for them to win, and then they ride back. Yeah, and you know, luck. It's it, it's amazing the way it's worked out with with the Colts coming off of the Peyton Manning era, and then now seemingly easing into the Luck era. Do you think that Luck is kind of ahead of schedule so far? I guess. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. No, I really do think so. And you know, Bruce Arians kind of said that yesterday. I mean, um, you know, Peyton Manning never ran a no huddle, not this fast um, when he was a rookie, and. You know, that's exactly what they're doing with, with Andrew Luck. So, um, you know, I think, not that you like to compare, but, you know, if you were going to, you know, I think it would really be favorable, um, you know, favorable for Andrew Luck. It's impressive, you know, to compare anyone to Peyton Manning. And, um, you know, I think the Colts have every reason to right now. What about the Packers? Uh, they've Obviously, they had some really bad luck in Seattle with the foul Mary and then went home and kind of rebounded against the Saints, almost had some more bad luck in that game. But they can't blame last Sunday on the refs. What is it about this team that you think is making them look so vulnerable as opposed to the team that was 15-1 and last year? Well, I think they, you know, they don't have a ton of depth of receiver. They can't really block as well as they need to. You know, those are two big things. And... Um, you know, when when the Colts needed to get to him, they were able to get rough with, you know, the Packers receivers and knock off their rhythm, and, and that changed the game. I mean, that really changed everything. Um, they, they couldn't handle it, and, you know, all of a sudden the Packers score seven points in the second half, which, you know, is obviously not good enough. So, um, you know, I think it's a lesson for the Packers, something they're going to have to deal with. It's a copycat league. Um, and they need to figure out a, a way to get going. I think Aaron Rodgers also needs to be more accurate. You know, he did not have a great game. He really struggled um, as far as accuracy. And, you know, all of a sudden you begin to worry about the Packers a little bit. Yeah, and especially in their division with uh, how great the Vikings and the Bears have played. And when we had right. John in the off season, we talked a lot about the Vikings and Adrian Peterson's rehabilitation and the races between him and Percy Harvin. Uh, how surprised are you that that team that you've seen in August is this team that it is in October right now? Yeah, no, I definitely thought that was what the Vikings would be like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, it really, situations like this really make me um, reevaluate calling the team rebuilding. You know, they didn't, they didn't really see themselves as rebuilding. Um, neither did the Rams. Both those teams really got it going on right now, um, you know. So it's 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 really kind of changed the way that we all think about teams, uh, you know, being young and, and moving forward. I think it's been 
it's really been pretty amazing, honestly. Sportscasters are here with Ian Rappaport from uh, the NFL Network. You can find him on Twitter very easily at RapSheet. Where are you heading this week, Ian? Uh, I am going to Texans Packers on Sunday night, which should be a lot of fun. And uh, cannot wait for that one. Yeah, Texans. See if see if, uh, see if your Packers can get it together a little bit. <laughs> Texans and uh, Falcons both uh, undefeated. Uh, you have a feeling on which team will be undefeated longer? Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, you know, I think the Texans probably a little bit longer. But, um, you know, the Falcons showed some vulnerability, certainly, um, you know, this weekend. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It's, it's amazing that it's those two teams. But, um, you know, as we know, it's not the team that starts the fastest. It's the team that ends it that way. So it'll be interesting to see if those teams can keep it going. Thank you so much for doing this today, Ian. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you for me. All right, we have to thank Ian Rappaport for being on the show today, uh, talking football with us. We really appreciate that. Don't forget you can email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com, with any questions that you might have. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. You can follow Football Nation on Twitter, at FBallNation. Don't forget to check out Season 2, Episode 36 of the Sportscaster proper, featuring interviews with Brian Curtis, Grant Wall, and Greg Wyshynski. You can find that at www.sports-casters.com on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. So, we have two things left to do today, and the first is answer a listener email, and it goes like this. Hey guys, I drafted Michael Vick to be my starting quarterback in the fourth round of my fantasy league. Later in the draft, I picked up Cutler just in case Vick got injured. Now, each time I put in my lineup, I can't decide if I should start Vic as I planned or Cutler, who seems like hey, he has played better. Should I play matchups, stick with Vic, or go with Cutler? Boy, that's tough. Uh, my gut tells me to oh, play Oh, and that's from Mike from Pierre, South Dakota. Oh, thank you for the email. Thanks, uh, Mike. My gut is to mainly stick with Vic for the upside, hope the fumbles and interceptions kind of go away a little bit. Maybe they can fix it when their bye week rolls along, but that's an ugly situation there. Uh, Cutler, to me, is... Look at when he faced a motivated and solid Green Bay defense. He's the turnover machine that... Every bit the turnover machine that Vic is. So, I mean, if if Philly's playing Houston and Cutler's playing Kansas City or the Bills or something like that, then I go with Cutler, but I, I think for the most part, you're going to end up starting Vic for the rest of the year. Yeah, I you know, one thing that I always try to do is stick with a plan if you have a plan you know stick with the plan and right now I don't know where you play fantasy football but if it's an ESPN standard scoring league you're right you got two guys that aren't separated by much you got Vic who scored 70 points and Cutler who scored 63 so you basically do have two guys who aren't separated by much and if you look at Vic he scored 15 21 5 17 and 12. If you look at Cutler by week, he scored 19, 2, 6, 17, and 19. So, 
Consider matchups. That's important. If there's a guy out there like Andrew Luck, I might rather have him at either of those guys at this point. Like I, I'm, I'm not seeing a drop Vic by any means because I think he's got too high an upside, and if he starts using his legs a little bit more, maybe he'll eventually be worth the spot you drafted him in. Well, Color's on a bye this week, so it doesn't matter. But right. let's, te- let's test this theory out in Week 7. Cutler is at home against Detroit, and Michael Vick is on a bye. Great. <laughs> let's test this out in Week 8, the next time it's going to matter for Mike here. Uh, Atlanta is home against – or, excuse me, Philadelphia is at home against Vick's former team, Atlanta. And Cutler – is at home against Carolina. Jeez. So maybe you go with I, Cutler there, right? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But then you've got just the intangible aspect of Vic playing against his old team. So, Well, instead of running around in circles and not even helping Mike out at all, I'm going to give you a definite advice, Mike. And my definite advice is stick with your plan that you went into the draft and you executed and stick with Vic. Yeah, I mean – I, I agree. Vic's the guy you drafted. Not the draft status matters much at this point, but as long as your league isn't killing you for fumbles and uh, interceptions, stick with Vic. His upside's way higher. All right. One last thing. Go ahead, Don. All right. One more thing. Terrell Owens today sent out a tweet, and if you haven't seen it yet, it says, Hey, Jets, I'm available. I'm ready, willing, and able. Call my agent at Jordan Woy, and let's make it happen. Look, T.O., uh, the Jets have quickly come out and said they're not interested. And what that means is the team whose number two receiver is a defensive back who may now be their number one receiver because Holmes is out, who has also scored three offensive touchdowns in their last four games, says they're not interested. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, this reeks of desperation. Maybe rather than promoting yourself the way you are now and begging for teams to pick you up, maybe you should have not should have been working harder instead of been getting kicked off of arena league teams in the, while you were a free agent. I noticed your agent is now Jordan. Woy. drew Rosenhaus doesn't even want to deal with you anymore. Uh, go find, do the Dennis Rodman thing. Consider your career over, figure out some way to make a niche in the entertainment world because the NFL world has passed you by. All right, one last thing for me. I feel bad for Matt Castle. Uh, (laughs) Matt Castle got injured at home against the Ravens in the fourth quarter on Sunday, and apparently some portion of the crowd that has been debated so far what portion it was cheered when he was injured. And his offensive lineman, Eric Winston, stood up for him after saying, we're not gladiators. This isn't the Roman Coliseum. If you want to come in and boo because we're bad players or cheer because we're good players, I think you have the right. But he says he was very embarrassed to be there and to see the, the crowd cheering an injury. And I'm not going to go too much into the specifics of whether the fans in Kansas City were right. I'm just going to say this. If you go to an NFL game, Don't boo injured players. Come on. Come on. Spend my days with a woman unkind. Smoke my stuff and drink.